Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. It's the California Report magazine, and on today's show, we meet a woman on a mission to celebrate the sex lives of seniors. I know we generally just talk about grandchildren when we're together, but let's talk about something more personal and more interesting. Let's talk about sex. Plus, what happens when sweetness gets bumpy? The long-running fight over which California ice cream parlor invented a classic flavor. Rocky Road becomes America's first blockbuster ice cream flavor after chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. And we meet a singer whose name you probably don't know, but you've likely heard his powerful voice. Everybody was in tears the first time they heard him sing it. It was just this incredible performance. They knew right away that they had gold. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. We're going to start this week's show at a line dancing class in Sonoma County. A petite woman in a purple leopard print t-shirt and pink sneakers is shouting out the steps. Her name is Joan Price. She's 75 and she's on a mission to redefine aging. Besides teaching dance for the last 26 years, she's also trying to change the way we think about the sex lives of seniors. In fact, she's written several books on the subject. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin met up with her at her home outside Sebastopol. As I approach the tiny road to Joan's cottage, she's waiting to meet me so I don't get lost. She leads me the rest of the way to her house, jogging energetically in front of me. Inside, She plunks down on a lounge chair, and we dive right in. I was a wild child for a number of years, (laughs) for through my 40s. She means wild in bed. She never wanted for lovers or companionship, until... I hit menopause, and I became invisible. I was being overlooked, quite literally, people looking over my head, which is very easy, since I'm 4'10", but that wasn't why. It was because they were looking for someone younger, even if they were my age, even if they were older. They were looking for someone younger. Joan says in her late 40s, she was the most accomplished and confident she'd been in her whole life. She also had the energy of someone half her age, since she became a fitness freak in her 30s. So the idea that her sex life and her love life might be over was devastating to her. But then, at age 57, (laughs) the beginning of the big love story here, 
I met a man who was 64. He walked into my line dance class one day and I tried to remember to breathe. I was smitten. I was in lust. I was absolutely in lust with this handsome, blue-eyed man with silver hair. And when he started to dance and started rolling his hips, I kept losing my place in the dance I was teaching. It took nine months, but we became a couple. And once we started kissing, we didn't stop. We kept kissing for seven years until I lost this dear man to cancer. The day we sit down together, Joan tells me, is the anniversary of both her first kiss with Robert and the anniversary of his death. Joan had started writing about the sex lives of seniors during the happier times in their relationship, invigorated by the passion they shared for each other. We were so vibrant and sexy and strong and exciting and excited. I thought, it's time to write a book about this. That first book, Better Than I Ever Expected, was all about reminding seniors and everyone else that your sex life isn't over at 60. But Joan says even talking about sex was taboo for her generation. The problem with the way we learned to talk about sex is we learned not to talk about sex. But that was the 50s. That's what sex education was. My father was an obstetrician gynecologist, and you would think that I would have had a pretty comprehensive sex education. But no. My sex education consisted of how girls get pregnant and why we shouldn't do it. But it's not the 50s anymore. And Jen says it's time for seniors to start having those conversations with each other. We need to be able to talk out loud about, hey, I know we generally just talk about grandchildren when we're together, but let's talk about something more personal and more interesting. Let's talk about sex. So how are you and your God doing? The gym locker room needs to start exploding with talk about senior sex. Well, actually mine does, but that's just because I'm in it. And there's an urgency now, she says, to getting this topic out in the open. Recent CDC reports show a 20% increase in gonorrhea, syphilis, and chlamydia among Americans 45 and older. And that's not all. Americans 50 and over accounted for 17% of new HIV diagnoses. Just because we can't get pregnant anymore doesn't mean we don't have to use safer sex precautions. We absolutely do. Many people who follow Joan's blog say their doctors aren't asking them enough about their sex lives. Some write to her about dealing with discomfort and their medications interfering with performance and arousal. Unless we, as a generation, go to our doctors and say, Doctor, my sex life is important to me and here's what's interfering with it and I need your help to resolve this. Unless the doctor gets this message from patient after patient after patient, nothing's going to change. Baby boomers are divorcing at record rates, so there's a slew of new seniors back in the dating pool. And that means sometimes adjusting to new norms when it comes to relationships. Straight men who are dating and who say, I don't know how to talk to women anymore 
used to be I'd have this line, I'd uh, compliment them on their, their appearance, and I could uh, test out whether they like being hugged, and now you're supposed to get permission for every damn thing. And I say, well, get used to it. Always get consent. Get enthusiastic consent. Joan sees herself as a conduit between her generation and today's evolving expectations when it comes to sex and dating. But she also has a message for anyone of any age who dreads getting older. We need to know that we can value ourselves through all the stages of our lives. Not just think it's now or never when we're young. Not just think, oh my gosh, if I don't get the right partner now while I'm wrinkle-free and desirable, I never will. That's just not true. We need to look forward to the experience of the wisdom that aging brings. That's Joan Price talking to the California Report magazine's Mary Franklin Harvin. Joan's new book is called Sex After Grief. And now it's time for another in our series, Golden State Plate, about iconic foods that got their start here in California. Our next dish, one of America's most popular ice cream flavors. So popular, Weird Al Yankovic immortalized it. They tell me ice cream junkies are all the same. Even though nearly a century has passed since Rocky Road was invented, there's still a dispute over just who thought up the recipe. Okay, welcome to Oakland. You are in the birthplace of Rocky Road ice cream. It's a warm day, and I'm joining about 20 other people on an ice cream tour of North Oakland's College Avenue. Tour guide Lauren Herpick takes us to the first stop, the headquarters of Dryer's Ice Cream. So the real story goes, so there was a man named William Dryer. He was a German immigrant. He loved making ice cream. And then 1929 came along. The stock market crashed. Unemployed workers built shanty towns along Oakland's waterfront. And so William Dreyer is like, you know, I want to make a new ice cream flavor that puts a smile on people's faces during this rocky road of life. Rocky Road becomes America's first blockbuster ice cream flavor after chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. The first time marshmallow was ever used in ice cream. That's John Harrison, the guy who invented cookies and cream, and some 75 other flavors for dryers starting in the 1980s. His taste buds were famously insured for a million bucks. He told the Rocky Road story for an oral history project with UC Berkeley, documenting the long history of Dryer's Grand Ice Cream in Oakland. Harrison says William Dryer used his wife's sewing shears to cut up tiny marshmallows. The only marshmallow that was available in 1929 was the large fireside marshmallow that their wives used to cut up bite-sized. You wouldn't put a hole. It wouldn't work. Dreyer was adapting a popular candy bar featuring chocolate, marshmallows, and walnuts. But he used almonds instead, arguing ice cream would make walnuts too soggy. 
In the last hundred years, Dryers has expanded well beyond Oakland. These days, some version of its ice cream is stocked in almost every supermarket freezer. So now you can have your ice cream and eat it too. Dryers was Nestle. bought by Nestle in 2002, but they continue to market the brand and the claim that Dryer invented Rocky Road. But just down the road from where Dryers got its start, there's another much smaller ice cream company in Oakland that also claims to have invented Rocky Road. Chocolate ice cream coming out, layering marshmallow, walnut, marshmallow, walnut. This is Fenton's Creamery, and owner and master blender Scott Whidden is holding a tub under a spigot churning out fresh chocolate ice cream. He's slowly adding in handfuls of marshmallows and nuts. Except he's using walnuts, just like the original candy bar. I'm looking for equal parts. So I want that if you have a marshmallow, I want you to have maybe one or two of the walnuts, but I want you to have chocolate ice cream. Whidden says this is the way Fenton's has made its ice cream since the 1920s. People can still watch the ice cream makers at work when they come to the parlor. Small batch, handmade. Out in the dining area, dozens of families are sitting in red vinyl booths, enjoying giant sundaes in old-fashioned glass dishes. Scott Whidden points to a black-and-white picture of Melvin Fenton. He was the grandson of the guy who started the original Fenton's dairy back in 1894. And Whidden says... Melvin invented Rocky Road. He's a visionary, forward-thinking guy, and he goes... Whoa, mix-ins. So the thought process on it was, we're into the depressions, it's bad times, smooth ice cream, and then there's these bumps. It gets rocky. That sounds familiar. Rocky Road, the depression. Oh my goodness. <laughs> these days, Fenton serves Rocky Road in decadent Sundays. Look at how happy her face is. <laughs> Thank this you. Is, this is definitely my Sunday when I was when I was a child. This was exactly what we would make at home. So, ice cream connoisseur Amy Edinger has come up from Santa Cruz to try the Rocky Road at Fenton's with me. She's the author of Sweet Spot an ice cream binge across America. It's very common in ice cream history to have the, these kinds of disputes. The 1904 World's Fair was when the ice cream cone was invented and six different vendors claimed that they were the ones who invented it. Amy says Rocky Road is the flavor of her childhood, but not this Rocky Road, the dryers with the almonds. But what's very, very interesting is Fenton's is a very beloved Bay Area institution, but it is not well known outside of the Bay Area. So regardless of who actually invented it, Dryers is hands down the marketer of Rocky Road. And, and just because the other company is the one that got the, the word out about it doesn't mean that Fenton's didn't invent it. There's no way for us to know. There are lots of theories, like that Fenton's candy maker was friends with William Dreyer, and so maybe he shared his idea with both companies. And Fenton's current owner, Scott Whidden, claims that the guy who was president of Dreyer's in the 1970s admitted to him that Dreyer's had stolen the credit and used it to grow a national brand. But there's no way to prove that claim either. Then there's the crazy theory that in fact Rocky Road ice cream was actually born in Topeka, Kansas. 
there's a recipe in a cookbook published there that predates either Fenton's or Dryer's. It called for honey whip instead of marshmallows. Amy Edinger says doesn't count. Rocky Road definitely was born in Oakland. And who cares who invented it? At the end of the day, I don't know that it matters who invented it. I mean, if both places are creating really good scoops of ice cream of it now, and they they both have their little twists on it, how important is it who the original person was? Either way, people from Oakland can have pride that it was invented here. Exactly. You can find more stories about iconic California foods from Flamin' Hot Cheetos to the Martini if you check out our Golden State Plate series at californiareport.org. And now to a California singer who's got hits in two of this summer's most talked about movies. If you're going to San Francisco, that's R&B singer Michael Marshall. He reimagined this famous hippie anthem for the movie The Last Black Man in San Francisco. He's also the voice behind this 1990s hit featured in the new horror movie Us. As KQED arts and culture reporter Chloe Veltman tells us, after a lot of years of struggling, the singer is starting to get some long overdue recognition. Michael Marshall knows a lot of people have heard his voice, but that doesn't mean they know his name. They all have my voice in their house, in their car, on their phone somewhere. Everybody knows me, they just don't know who I am. The 53-year-old singer has several hit songs to his name and has collaborated with renowned hip-hop artists such as E-40 and The Loonies. But as Marshall shares in this autobiographical song, he still feels invisible. But now his profile is on the rise. If you're going to San Francisco Thanks in part to his performance of this song in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Emil Masseri wrote the score for the film and is among a growing group of industry insiders who have embraced Marshall's vocal gift. Everybody was in tears the first time they heard him sing it. It was just this incredible performance. They knew right away that they had gold. Marshall sits in the kitchen of a friend's house near Berkeley on a recent morning. He's tall, goateed and loosely dressed in sweats and spectacles. The singer tells me he had no trouble reworking John Phillips and Scott McKenzie's 1967 hit. He's covered other songs by white artists over the years and says he received an immersion in white hippie culture as an undergrad at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. I'm pretty good singing white people's covers. Unsoul music, non-soul music, I'm, I'm good at singing that. Marshall started out performing in high school talent shows. It was not long after graduating from Berkeley High that he scored his first hit, Rumours, in 1986. Marshall's career could have taken off, but instead his life started to derail. And I was not prepared 
So I'm bumping my head, skinning my knees at every turn. Marshall says his troubles started after he passed up a 10-year record deal on the back of the rumour's success because he didn't want to be tied down. He then watched helplessly as Jay King, the record label owner he worked with, formed a new band and used some of Marshall's musical ideas to fuel new hits, like this one. Marshall partly blames himself for his lack of business sense, but he says King and others swindled him out of royalties and credits, leading him down a long, self-destructive path of drug abuse. Yeah, it was bad. I was literally trying to kill myself. I reached Jay King on the phone in Sacramento, where he still works in the music business. He says he did nothing wrong and attributes Marshall's misfortunes to his drug habit. But he's still in awe of the singer's voice. Even with all the abuse that he's put on his voice, it's so beautiful and resonant that even he can't destroy it. Marshall was lost to crack cocaine for more than 20 years. But he still released music, like his memorable hook on the 1995 Looney's hit, I Got Five on It. That's a classic right there. I Got Five on It is getting a lot of play now since being featured in Jordan Peele's horror movie Us this summer. But Marshall says for years he wasn't recognised for that song either. People who knew me would say, oh, that's Mike and all that, but the radio wasn't saying my name. And the artists were having shows and not inviting me. Starting around 2004, with the help of his wife April, Marshall gradually got clean and sorted out his business affairs. Now he says the royalty checks are flowing in. He has a new album coming out in October with the Bay Area hip-hop artist Equipto. And he's working on a cover album. There's a cover of a Simply Red song I want to do. There's huh, which a, one? It should have been me at this moment in time. Is it in your mind at all? It should have been me. It could have been me. The song is called Sunrise. For The California Report, I'm Chloe Veltman. And if you're a fan of our show, we've got a real treat in store for you. Michael Marshall will be singing at a live event open to the public to celebrate The California Report magazine and The California Dream on November 21st in San Francisco. We'll have more details for you in the coming weeks. You're listening to The California Report magazine. We just heard a story about a singer who's getting a second chance at pursuing his musical dream. Listener Andrew Burling can relate to that feeling of wanting a second chance. He responded to a call-out asking you, our listeners, to write a letter to the first person in your family who came to California. Andrew wrote a letter to himself about pursuing his California dream on his own terms. Dear Andrew, You're a little over a year into your second California dream, and other than occasional commuter frustration, it's been amazing. In 2005, the first time you moved here, it was for the man you had been seeing. You were captivated by the relaxed California vibe, the chance to leave those Midwestern winters behind, and the promise of a relationship and everything it brings. It was the chance at a new start.
But after that relationship went south in 2010, you went back to Minnesota. You made a yearly pilgrimage to California after moving away, but that only increased your desire to return permanently. A graduate program left your mind unsatisfied and your pockets empty. Along the way, you lost both parents, and you realized that though you were born and raised in the Midwest, it still didn't feel like home. Four months after your mom died, on a long weekend in San Francisco, the clearest idea of what you should do next came to you. Leave your career, leave Minnesota, and pursue a new life as a teacher. Your Minnesota friends vacillated between supporting your dream and wanting you to stay. Friends in education talked with you about the pros and cons of teaching, long hours, and little pay. But you knew in your heart that working with kids was what you wanted most. Their energy, their honesty, and the joy that they bring to everything they do. After a super long process of considering whether you wanted to overhaul your life or not, you finally took the plunge. In August of 2018, you drove your car cross-country and began working as an associate teacher while pursuing a teaching credential. When school started and you met your class of third graders, you knew you finally found what you were looking for. A new passion and a new sense of purpose. Now, a year later, you can't believe it took you so long. Today, you're working with a kindergarten class, and it's even more amazing. Their curiosity and trust in you have your brain working in a way it's never worked before. Your students are fascinating, your classes are interesting, and the amount of time and energy you spend on both is draining and satisfying. And as you drive to the school every day, your eyes beam when you see the skyline of Oakland, the bay beyond it, and San Francisco beyond that. The first time you moved here, it was for someone else. This time, it's for you. And you can't believe you're getting a second chance to live your California dream. Keep dreaming, Andrew. Listener Andrew Burling's letter to himself. We'd love to hear your letter to your family's original California dreamer. We've got an easy form on our website where you can tell us your story. CaliforniaReport.org And that's it for the California Report magazine for this week. Coming up next week on our show... Temperatures are getting hotter everywhere in California. That means it feels like summer for more of the year. And the people who live and work in the heat are more at risk. Like workers who box and ship all the stuff we order online. Sweltering inside metal shipping containers in places like the Inland Empire. Although you're wet with sweat, the heat is too much. If you get too close to the sheet metal, it sizzles. Yes, that's what happens. And even in places we wouldn't expect, like the coast, the heat is getting deadlier. Okay. Uh, you know, she has a temperature of 103.1. Are you with the patient now? Join us for a half hour of stories all about heat. That's next week on the California Report magazine. 
We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. We'd love to hear your feedback on our show. You can send us a note at calreport at kqed.org. You can also listen to all of our shows if you subscribe to our podcast, The California Report Magazine. Just look for the bear wearing earbuds. Our director and the curator of our Golden State Plate series is Susie Bracho. Our technical producer is Seal Muller, and we had additional engineering from Katie McMurrin and Rob Spate. Our senior editor is Victoria Maleon. Our team also includes Asala Sanapur, Olivia Allen Price, Erica Kelly, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Thanks so much for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, a not-for-profit offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. For more information, go to earthquakeauthority.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.